So today, I want to finish this three-week series that we've been in on the resurrection of Jesus. Two weeks ago, we celebrated the most significant event in all of human history, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We celebrated the fact that Jesus, the sinless Son of God, took our sins upon himself and suffered and died to pay the penalty for our sins. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. And then on the third day, God raised him from the dead in a glorified human body because death could not hold him. He conquered sin. He conquered death for us. We know all of this to be true because of the eyewitnesses to his death, burial, and resurrection. Last Sunday, we looked at three of the several appearances of Jesus to his followers in his resurrected, glorified body. He appeared to them several times over the next six weeks following his resurrection, at one time appearing to over 500 of his followers. 500 eyewitnesses, over 500 eyewitnesses, saw Jesus alive after he had died and was buried. These are the same followers who had abandoned him after his arrest. And who went into hiding after his death. These are the same followers that that first Easter Sunday morning would not even believe the first reports that he had been raised from the dead. But then they had seen him with their own eyes and touched him with their own hands and they would never be the same They had seen the proof that Jesus was exactly who he had claimed to be. The promised Savior, the Son of God, fully God, fully man. They saw with their own eyes that he had conquered death and had been glorified. And it transformed them. But as amazing as those post-resurrection appearances had been, there was one more event that would be even more glorious, if you can imagine that. On the 40th day after Jesus' death, his followers would witness his ascension into heaven and the glorious exaltation of Jesus, which had been foretold by King David, over a thousand years beforehand. So I'd like you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you once again for this opportunity for us to be here today, for the opportunity for us to lift our voices and sing your praises. Oh, Father, we have so much to be grateful for because of what you have done in order to save us, in order to give eternal life to all who believe and trust in Jesus, your Son. Open our eyes today. Open our hearts. 
to receive what you have to say to us. Bring us to our knees in worship of you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to be reading Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 11. If you are able, I'd like you to stand for the reading of God's word. I won't make you stand for the whole sermon, <laughs> thankfully. Acts 1.1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. May God bless the reading of his word to us. You may be seated. We've been spending a couple of years in the book of Acts. We'll be finishing that up in the next couple of months. But we all know that Luke wrote the book of Acts. And it was written to this man named Theophilus. Luke also wrote the gospel, which bears his name. And he refers to that gospel in verse 1. He says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So Luke had already written Luke, sent that to Theophilus, and now he's writing the follow-up, the Acts of the Apostles, or we could call it the Acts of the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, working through the Apostles. Luke has talked to the eyewitnesses of these events. That's why he can say with confidence in verse 3 that Jesus presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Luke had heard this from the eyewitnesses who were there, who experienced it, and he is now reporting on that. And he tells us that the last time that the disciples, the followers of Jesus saw him was when they were in Jerusalem and they went out and they gathered together, verse 6, when they had come together, they asked him, 
They came together on the Mount of Olives. That was a common meeting place. That's where the Garden of Gethsemane is. They went out there, outside of the city walls, to hold their meeting, Jesus teaching them. And they asked him about the kingdom. Is now the time of the kingdom? And Jesus is like, uh, no, not yet. You need to focus on what you need to do now. You need to wait for the Holy Spirit. Ten days later on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon them. And then he tells them what they're going to do after they receive the power of the Holy Spirit. They are going to be his witnesses. They're going to be his witnesses. And they're going to be witnesses for him in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the end of the earth. And we see that exactly fulfilled in the book of Acts. That the gospel was first shared in Jerusalem. Thousands were converted, became Christians. Then the gospel spread into Judea. Thousands became Christians. Then the gospel spread into Samaria. Thousands became Christians. And then eventually throughout the entire Roman Empire. And of course, guess what? The gospel is still spreading to this day. Amen? This very day, hundreds if not thousands will become Christians. By hearing the word of God, the Holy Spirit will change their hearts, open their minds to see Jesus for who he truly is, just as he's done with so many of us. Amen? Amen. Praise be to God. So now I want us to look at this glorious event, the exaltation of Jesus, through the eyes and the ears of those who were there. And we will discover what they saw, what they heard, and then what they did. Let's start with what they saw. Look back with me at verse 9 again. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. The Greek verb here used that is translated lifted up is in the passive voice, meaning he was lifted up by someone or something else. He did not lift himself up. He was lifted up by God the Father. And he was received into a cloud. The cloud in scripture represents the divine presence of God. Luke is describing here not only the ascension of Jesus into heaven, but a visible expression of his exaltation. To the right hand of God in heaven. This is the very event that was foretold by David in Psalm 110, verse 1, where we read these words The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. God had foretold that one day a descendant of King David would ascend to the throne, sit at the right hand of God. And this was the event that was taking place that very day. Those who were with Jesus that day saw something that no other human being has ever seen. 
They saw the resurrected, glorified God-man rise up into heaven in a glorified human body. The impact that this event had upon them cannot be emphasized enough. It was miraculous. They were gobsmacked. Right? They're staring up, silent evidently, wondering at what they are seeing. It was so dramatic, it had such an impact on them that almost every New Testament writer includes a statement of Jesus' exaltation to heaven to the right hand of the Father. Listen to just a few of these references to this very event. Paul writing to the Ephesians in Ephesians 1, starting in verse 20. We read these words. He, that is God, worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Jesus, having accomplished the work that he was sent to do, is raised up by God the Father and is restored to his rightful place on the throne at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And listen to this. He is the first human being to enter into heaven in a glorified human body. Jesus is seated next to the Father in a glorified human body. The first fruits of the resurrection that is to come. And he is far above, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. God has given him authority over all created things. The author to the Hebrews writes about this event several times. Listen to what he writes in Hebrews 1 verses 3 and 4. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name that he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Jesus accomplished the work that God had given him to do. He came down from heaven to earth, was born as a human being, both God and fully man. He lived the perfect righteous life that none of us can live because of sin. And then he laid down that life. Not for his own sin, but for ours. Taking our sin upon himself. He paid the penalty for that sin. So that we could then be credited by the Father with his righteousness. And when he had completed that work, the Father brought him back up to heaven in that glorified human body. The writer of the Hebrews goes on in chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, to write this. 
But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. The author to the Hebrews had obviously read Psalm 110 verse 1, and he's quoting it here and applying it to Jesus. And then Peter, many, many years later, Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22, these words. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. What they saw that day was the fulfillment of Psalm 110. And each one of these writers is telling us that all that had occurred to Jesus had occurred according to the predetermined sovereign plan of God and had fulfilled the prophecies that were given hundreds of years beforehand. There are dozens of prophecies in the Old Testament. Prophecies made 500 to 1,500 years before Jesus came, every one of them fulfilled in Christ. God has given us evidence to believe his word. And this should continue to encourage us to know that God is in control No matter what happens on this planet or anywhere else in the universe, it is happening under God's divine plan, under God's divine control. And this is where we find the confidence to endure whatever we have to face in our lives on this earth. We know who is ultimately in control, our Lord and Savior, the one who gave his life to save us from our sins. And we know that he has promised that he will finish the good work that he has begun in us. And one day, we too shall ascend into heaven to join him there, and we shall forever be with our Lord. Amen? Praise be to God. This fact is repeated over and over and over again in the pages of Scripture in order to give us a proper perspective of our momentary light afflictions to remind us that these momentary light afflictions will be replaced with an eternal weight of glory that awaits us when we see him face to face. What they saw that day on the Mount of Olives was the culmination of the earthly ministry of Jesus who had accomplished all that was required for our salvation And who now ascended into heaven as our faithful high priest. Who now intercedes for us in heaven. Again, the author to the Hebrews writes these words. Hebrews 4, chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. These words are so comforting to us because we're sinners. Amen? We're reticent to say amen to that statement, right? Listen to me. I'm a sinner. And whether you admit it or not, you're a sinner. And there's only two scenarios that await a sinner. Either you will stand before the judgment seat of God and you will receive the penalty for your sins which is eternal conscious punishment. Or you will stand before the mercy seat of God and you will be given eternal life with Him because you've trusted in Jesus. There's only two options. How wonderful, how marvelous is our Savior's love and grace. How wonderful and how marvelous that we can have confidence drawing near to God because Jesus is there as our representative. And if we've trusted in Jesus, he intercedes for us with the Father. And he's been tempted in all ways, even as we have, yet without sin. So he knows our frailty. He knows our humanity. He knows our proclivity to sin, and he knows the temptations that can cause us to stumble. He did not stumble, but he knows what it's like to be tempted. That's our high priest who intercedes for us. So we need not fear the wrath of God for our sins if we have trusted in him for our salvation. We can face anything in this life knowing that we have a great high priest who cares and understands everything we are going through. That is marvelous. But wait, there is more. Back in our text, Luke tells us that while Jesus' disciples were intently gazing into the sky, behold, which means suddenly, Two men stand by them in white robes. God had sent two angels to explain to them what they had just seen. And Luke tells us what they heard them say. Look at verse 10. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The message begins with kind of a mild rebuke, okay? Why are you standing there staring into the sky? Snap out of it. Then the angels verify what they had already come to realize that Jesus had indeed been taken up into heaven. 
But then they add even more exciting news that Jesus will come again in the same way, in the same manner as you saw him go up to heaven. Can I hear an amen? Can I hear a hallelujah? Hallelujah. Now, what does that mean in the same way? This is very specific. It means he will come back to earth in the same glorified human body that they saw him ascend in. It means he will come back in clouds of glory. And it means he will come back visibly, not in secret but in visible power and glory. And this verified exactly what Jesus himself had told the disciples. Listen to what Luke recorded in Luke 21, 26, and 27. Jesus said, For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And later, when Jesus had been pressed by the Jewish leaders to confess that he was indeed the Messiah, listen to how he responded to them. He responded by saying this in Mark 14, 62. I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. The I am responded to their question. Are you the Messiah? Are you the expected Savior? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see me seated at the right hand of God. And you will see me come in the clouds with power and glory. Listen to what Matthew records in Matthew 24, 30. Jesus said this, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Jesus knew that he would be coming again. He taught the disciples that he would be coming again. And the Bible teaches that to us over and over again. And I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that day. I would love for Jesus to come back sooner rather than later. In fact, folks, I'm ready. If it's tonight, I'm ready. I'm ready. But are you ready? Because that's when the judgment comes. And if you've trusted in Christ, you're safe, you're secure. But if you've not trusted in Christ for your salvation, you are not. Because listen to me, the Lord is good. He may not be safe, but he is good. Amen? We just sang that in that song. And that's the line that grabbed my attention. It's actually from the Chronicles of Narnia. It's speaking of Aslan. One of the children asks Mr. Beaver, 
is Asland safe? And Mr. Beaver says, no, he is not safe, but he is good. If we refuse to do it God's way, we will not be safe from his wrath. But if we choose to do it God's way, we will know nothing but his goodness and mercy. I want you to notice that in every statement made by Jesus in these verses regarding his return, he returns as the Son of Man, which means in his glorified body. He returns in power and glory, and he returns visibly. Every eye will see him come. There's no secret return. There's not two or three returns. He shall return once at the end of this present age, and then comes judgment. And the final redemption of all creation. Those of us who are believers in Christ shall inherit the new heavens and the new earth. Those who refuse to trust in Christ for their salvation shall be cast into that place of eternal conscious punishment. Which they are due. Which they deserve as a result of their sins. Knowing that Jesus will return and bring this present age to an end became both a motivation for evangelism and a comfort for all of those who suffer for the cause of Christ. There is an end to this present suffering. There is an end to the evil in this world. There's an end to the pain. And that end comes when Jesus returns just as he ascended into heaven. Listen to these words written by the Apostle Paul 20 years later in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 17. Then we who are alive and who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Do you think those words were an encouragement to the Christians who were suffering persecution? Amen. Do you think those words are an encouragement to the Christians who are suffering persecution today? Amen. Those words are meant to be an encouragement to every one of us. Because not only did Jesus ascend into heaven, but Jesus will return one day from heaven. And he will make all things new. A new heaven, new earth, in which righteousness will dwell. The promised return of Christ, the resurrection of all believers, and the promise of eternal life with our risen Lord is to be an encouragement for all of us to live for Christ now. To live lives that please and glorify Him. It should motivate us to worship Christ, to obey Christ, and to be witnesses for Christ. And that is exactly what it did for the disciples 
who saw him ascend into heaven and who heard the angels proclaim that they would see him return in the same way. It motivated them. Listen to Luke's description of what they did in response. This is Luke writing at the end of his gospel, Luke 24, 52. He writes this, And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. This is what his followers did after they saw him ascend into heaven. They had great joy and they worshipped him and they obeyed him by going back to Jerusalem and they became his witnesses. They began by continuing, continually worshiping Jesus with great joy. Should we worship Jesus with great joy? Amen. It's one of the reasons why we gather together as the family of God, as the body of Christ, to worship him with great joy. Joy in knowing that the work of salvation is complete. Joy in knowing that we serve a risen Savior. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Joy in knowing that Jesus has ascended into heaven and is ruling over us and interceding for us. Joy in knowing that Jesus will return one day in power and glory. And joy in being filled with the Holy Spirit so that we might be his witnesses. They continue to worship Jesus both in private and in public as witnesses for Christ. And we know that after the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them on the day of Pentecost, they became powerful witnesses for Christ and proclaimed Christ to be their Savior and Lord. All of us whom God has saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, should follow their example. Our lives should be characterized by worship, obedience, and witnessing. All done in great joy for the grace of God that has been bestowed upon us. Where would I be were it not for the grace of God towards me? Where would I be were it not for the love of my Savior towards me? Where would I be? Friday night, we went to the dinner event, fundraising event for Victory Christian Academy. That's uh, the Christian school that meets over where Santa Rosa Bible Church is. It was a wonderful evening, beautiful evening. And we were seated at the table with some folks that we had never met. Um, I was sitting next to Juan, who is the worship leader at Sun Rose Bible Church right now. Uh, he's been leading both the English and Spanish services. Apparently, they've been without a worship leader for the English services, so he's filled in for the last year. And um, we got to spend some time getting to know each other and shared our testimonies with each other. Uh, both of us were not raised in Christian homes. Both of us got saved uh, later in life. And I was sharing with him what you've heard me say before, that 
I was raised in a Christian family, okay? You have to remember, I was born 65 years ago. <gasps> yes, I am that old. I got the gray hair to prove it. And 65 years ago, 90% of the population of the United States considered themselves to be Christians. I mean, that's just the way it was. If you were born in the United States, you were a Christian, okay? And so if you'd asked me at 12 years old, are you a Christian? I would have said, well, of course. I believed in the virgin birth of Jesus. We celebrated that at Christmas. I believed that he was the son of God. I believed that he died on a cross, was buried and rose on the third day. We celebrated that at Easter, right? I believed in a creator. <laughs> Nobody believed in evolution 65 years ago. Are you kidding? Look around you. This just happened? I don't think so. But you know what? I was not saved. At 12 years old, I was a terrible sinner. Now, if you'd asked my parents, they would have said, oh, he's the perfect child. No, I'm not kidding you. If you'd asked our neighbors, if you'd asked you know, anybody that knew me, they thought, oh, he's a saint. Look at how obedient he is to his parents. Look how he does his chores. Look how hard he works. But they didn't know my heart. Okay? I was a sinner. I needed a savior. And I heard the gospel time after time after time. I knew what Jesus had done on the cross. But it wasn't until that day that I understood for the first time that my sin had to be paid for. And Jesus had taken my sin upon himself. And he paid the penalty for my sin. And if I wanted to receive that, I had to pray to receive Christ as both Savior and Lord. And it was that day, at 13 years old, 52 years ago, this summer, that I prayed to receive Christ. And I was changed. Oh, I mean, it was rough the first few years, believe me. The sin was so entrenched in me. But God sanctified me. God worked in my life to draw me ever closer to Him and to make me more like His Son. He's still doing that today. Amen? Not yet perfected. But looking forward to that day when I will be. What about you? Are you living a life characterized by joyful worship of Christ? A life characterized by the joy of living in obedience to Christ? Are you living as a witness for Christ? Joyously telling others about the grace of God and the love of God? That we have experienced in Christ Jesus. Are you living your life as though Jesus is both your Savior and your Lord? You can.
You can know and experience this joy if you will surrender your life to him and live in obedience to him in the power of his spirit who indwells us. And it changes everything. It changes everything. What a joy fills our soul. Something's happened, and now I know he touched me, and he made me whole. And that's my prayer for you. My prayer for you is that you will be prepared when Jesus either calls you home or when he returns. You will be ready. You will be waiting anxiously for him to express his love for you when you see him face to face. I don't know which is going to come first for me. I really don't care, to be honest. As long as I'm with him, that's all that really matters. And that's my prayer for you today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity for us to remember, remember the gift of eternal life that you have given to us through Jesus Christ, your Son. Thank you, Father, for the multitude of evidence. Thank you, God, for the eyewitnesses and the eyewitness accounts of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and his ascension into heaven. And thank you, Father God, for the angels that you sent to tell his followers one day he will return in like manner. Father, we look forward to that day. In the meantime, I pray, Lord, that you would work in every one of our hearts. Open our hearts to receive Jesus as our Savior and Lord and help us now to live our lives as those who desire to please and glorify Him, to live as His witnesses in this ever-darkening world. Give us the faith to believe and trust in Your promises that we might be credited with the righteousness of Your Son, that our sins might be forgiven as far as the East is from the West, removed, never to be remembered, and Father God, help us to have great joy in knowing your salvation. And may we become your witnesses, telling others these great truths that you might be glorified. Help us in this, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, why don't you stand and we'll close with a song that speaks of...